We're going to look to a passage of Scripture that, among other things, talks to us about what it means to call upon the Lord, as we've just heard in song. Let me read for us from Colossians chapter 4. We'll read verse 2 through 18. Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today we're coming to the end of our study of this New Testament book of Colossians. And as the Apostle Paul closes this letter that he wrote to a group of early Christians, we find him here uh, relaying words of greetings to and from various individuals. And we also find him giving some words of instruction to the church. And what, what I'd like to do with this closing section of Colossians, I want to just narrow our focus so that we look specifically at what the apostle has to say here about the subject of prayer. You, you may recall that at the beginning of Colossians in chapter 1, Paul had a lot to say about prayer, his prayers for the people in Colossae. And now as he closes the letter, he returns to the same theme. He talks about prayer again. So as we think about prayer, let me just make for us three observations that I think arise from this passage, all right? Three observations about prayer. The first is I want us to observe how easy it is to pray, okay? Second, let's observe how hard it is to pray. And then thirdly, let's think about how important it is to pray. So prayer, how, how easy it is, how hard it can be, and then, and then why it's so important. So first, prayer is easy. Here's what I mean by that. 
any and every believer in Jesus Christ, by, by virtue of the atoning death of God's Son, has free and open access to the throne room of heaven and can pray. And listen, any believer in Christ can pray. Now, as I said back in chapter 1, Paul, Paul talked about his prayers for the men and women to whom he was writing, the, the Christians in this little town called Colossae. So in chapter 1, he talked about his prayers for them. And we, listen, we're not surprised to discover that Paul could pray, right? I mean, that's what you would expect. Paul, Paul was an apostle. He had been appointed by Jesus Christ himself to be a, a founding leader of the church. Paul was a rabbi who was thoroughly trained in the, in the teachings of the Old Testament scriptures. Paul had traveled throughout the entire world, planting churches, preaching the gospel. So we, listen, we're not surprised, are we, to, to read that Paul could pray. But in this passage, Paul is asking the Colossians to pray for him. Verse 2 through 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of, of Christ for which I'm in, in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul is asking these Colossian Christians, new, most of them, to their faith, He's asking them to pray for him. And I think it's important that we, we notice Paul's instructions here, asking prayer for himself. These instructions were given to the entire church. He, he is asking every member of their congregation to pray for them. He's not just saying, all right, those of you who are super spiritual, those of you who have been reading the Bible every week, you know, for the, every day for the last six months, you people, I want you to pray for me. That's not what he says. This is just a blanket invitation for everyone in that church to pray for him, meaning, I guess, that he was just assuming that all of them could do this. Now, let, let's remember some of the people that Paul's been addressing in this letter. Last week, we read Paul specifically addressing the children in the church. Remember that? So, so children are members of this church general group of people whose prayers he's asking for. Paul's just assuming the children can pray for him. Isn't that something, kids, to, to realize that you don't have to be a grown-up to pray, right? There's no, there's no age requirement for prayer. Young, young people can be powerful and mighty in prayer. We, we also saw last week that in this letter, Paul was addressing slaves. There were, there were slaves, many slaves, in, in, in the church of, of Colossae. And I think it's safe to assume that uh, some, perhaps many, of those slaves were not well-educated people. And yet Paul was asking them, pray for me. So I guess you can pray, can you? Even if you don't have a formal education? Yeah, you can. Are you like me? I, listen, I've known some people who did not have a, a formal education who could pray the roof off this building. Have you known people like that? You don't have to be sophisticated. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have some special training to pray. So this is who he's writing to. He's writing to the children. He's writing to the, to the bond servants. And then, I don't know if you remember this, a couple of weeks ago, Paul was addressing people in that church who were still struggling with certain 
sins in their life. Remember that? The beginning of chapter 3, he, he told them to put to death the vestiges of the old nature that were still at, at work, still at play in their lives. And do you remember some of the sins that Paul mentioned that he knew some of them were still struggling with? Let me read for you. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, filthy language. There were people in that church who were still fighting a battle against these patterns of sin. And Paul is saying to those people, even though they're still struggling, please pray for me. Please pray for me. So I think we can infer from, from this passage, you, listen, you don't have to have reached a certain age before you can start praying. Children can pray, right? You don't have to be well-educated in order to pray. You don't need that. And listen, isn't this wonderful? You don't have to be perfect yet in your sanctification in order to pray. Otherwise, none of us could pray. You might still be struggling with some deep issues in your life. And Christian, isn't this something the Father will still listen to you. Isn't that amazing? Any and every believer in Christ can come to God in prayer. Now, we might ask, how in the world can this be? Well, listen, earlier in this letter, the apostle wrote what I just think are powerful words of promise, and these words of promise apply to anyone who has turned from their sin and very simply trusted Jesus to be their Savior. Have you done that? If, if you have trusted Christ that way, these promises, I'm going to read them, they apply to you. If you haven't done that yet, they don't apply to you. But they can. Very easily. You could start trusting Christ today. Today would be a great day to start trusting Christ as your Savior. And if you're doing that, let, can I, let me just read them. Christian, hear these words. These are to you. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 12 to 14. Believer, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Would you agree that's good news? Here's more. Chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. Believer, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So guys, listen. This is why we can pray, even if, if we don't know a lot about Scripture, even if we're still very young and inexperienced, even if we're still struggling with some issues in our life. This is why we can pray, because the guilt of sin that once stood as a barrier between us and God, isn't this wonderful? That barrier has been forever removed through the atoning death of God's Son, and now we have just free and open access to heaven in prayer. 
Any time we want, no matter where we are, regardless of what challenge we're facing, on, on those days when, you know, in our walk with Christ, we're just, we, we feel victorious and we feel uh, vibrant and we feel alive. And even on those days when we don't feel that way, because of Jesus, we can go to God in prayer. And so, in that sense, prayer is easy. It's easy for believers. But, in another sense, prayer is hard. It's my second point. And here's what I mean by that. Prayer takes effort. Verse 2, the apostle writes, devote yourselves to prayer. That, that phrase, devote yourselves, it's one word in the Greek, and it can be translated to be steadfastly attentive to, or, or to persevere in and not give up. You could translate it to show oneself courageous for, or to give oneself to continually. That's what he's talking about when he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And, and you know, different English translations will, will render that phrase differently. The one we're looking at today says, devote yourselves to prayer. Here's the way other translations translate that phrase. Be persistent and devoted to prayer. Be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in your prayer life. Keep persisting in prayer. Never give up praying. One version of the Bible translates it, give a lot of time and effort to prayer. And one, I love this, just translates it, keep praying and praying. So you, you get the picture, right? Pr prayer, effective, powerful, authentic prayer. Listen, it takes some work. And this is, I think this is important for us to know because sometimes, sometimes Christians will get discouraged because they just assume, listen, if, 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 if everything's okay in my relationship with the Lord, then prayer should just be easy for me, right? I mean, it's just going to flow spontaneously from my lips. I won't even have to struggle with this. And then when they find prayer to be hard, they get discouraged. They think, oh, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe God's mad at me. Maybe my, maybe my heart is not right with the Lord. But listen, that, that comes from a misunderstanding of prayer. Prayer takes effort. Some of you maybe, do you know that story of, of uh, right before Jesus was arrested and, and then crucified, he took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asked them to pray with him. You know that story? What happened to these guys, right? They kept falling asleep. They fell asleep at a prayer meeting. And Jesus came to them when they were sleeping. And do you know what? How he diagnosed their problem? He did not say that they had a spiritual problem. In fact, he said spiritually they were doing pretty good. He said the spirit is willing. He said, but the flesh is weak. And I, I think you can infer from that that even, even if your relationship is healthy and strong with the Lord, in order to be affected at prayer, you're still going to have to discipline your flesh. You're going to have to discipline your body. You're going to have to do some very physical things like, you know, change, change your alarm so it's, it goes off a little earlier so you get out of bed and pray or, or you know, write the, the, the weekly church prayer meeting into your calendar so that you make sure that you... See, it takes some effort and some energy. 
And I think you see that in what Paul says here about this man Epaphras. Look at verse 12 through 13. We've heard about Epaphras back in chapter 1. Epaphras was a man who was originally, he was from the city of Colossae. Apparently he had been traveling in some other parts and he had heard the gospel being proclaimed and he went He's the one who went back to his hometown of Colossae. He's the first one to take the gospel there. He took the good news of Christ to his, his friends and his family in Colossae, and this little church had begun through his ministry. Since then, Epaphras had traveled back to find Paul. We think that Paul at this time was in Rome, in prison. He finds Paul in Rome to tell him about this new church. Listen to what Paul says about this man Epaphras, verse 12 through 13. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So no, did you notice how Paul describes the prayer life of this man, Epaphras. He says, he, he describes his prayers both as wrestling, he's wrestling in prayer, and as hard work. So I wonder, what, what, would, it, what would it look like for you to wrestle in prayer for someone else? I mean, people who know you, they say, you know what, when, when, she, when she prays, she goes to war, man. I mean, she fights in prayer. She wrestles for you. What would it look like for you to be described that way? Or, or what, what might it look like for others who know you to describe your prayer life as, as, as something that you work hard at? Man, he really works hard at his prayer life. He just, he's not just playing around. He, I mean, he's very thoughtful. He's very disciplined. He prays for his family, prays for his church, prays for his community. And he, he works hard at it. What would it take for your prayer life to be described that way? That's, see, this is the way Paul describes Epaphras. And I think that this, in, in, in a sort of way, this passage is inviting us to think about what would it be like for us really to give ourselves to prayer. So Paul says in verse 2, there's kind of three things he says. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourself to pray, being watchful and thankful. One, one uh, New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright, he has suggested that perhaps this verse is kind of inviting us to, to think of having sort of a three-step rhythm in our prayer life. We, we bow our heads, we pray, we intercede before God. Then we lift our heads and we watch. We look around to see what God is doing. How is he responding? And when we see God working in even the smallest way, we lift our heads and we thank him. And then we do it all over again, rinse and repeat. We pray, we watch, we thank. We pray, we watch, we thank. We just keep doing this over and over. That's the way a, a Christian's prayer life is like. So this is how we're called to pray. And it's easy for Christians. Because of Christ, we have direct access to God. It's easy, and yet, don't be discouraged if it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. It takes effort. And the question is, are you willing? Are you, guys, are we willing to put forward the effort to pray in this way? So prayer is easy, prayer is hard. And then thirdly, I'll be quick. Prayer, 
Prayer is important, and I can't, I can't, I can't overstate how important it is. Look at verse uh, 3 and 4. Verse 3, Paul says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Look at verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it, the gospel, clearly as I should. So the Apostle Paul is saying, would you please pray for me that I'll get the gospel right? That I won't mess it up. Do you realize how, how crazy that is? I mean, that's just a, that, we should stop and say, what? Did he really ask that? L let me explain. At this, at this point in his life, the Apostle Paul had already made three extensive missionary journeys throughout the Roman Empire. He had planted already as many as 20 different churches. He had mentored numerous young Christian leaders and raised them up for, for their work in ministry. He had testified before religious authorities, before trained philosophers, before government officials. He had already written at least six books of the Bible, including the book of Romans. You ever read the book of Romans? It's perhaps the, the most profound, extensive exposition of the gospel you find anywhere. Paul knew the gospel. And yet, isn't this weird? He says, can you, can you pray for me that when I share the gospel, I won't mess it up? No, listen, why does he do that? He's preached the gospel thousands of times. He could do it in his sleep. Why is he asking for prayer when he shares the gospel? Is, he just, is it just being humble? You know how sometimes people are just humble? Oh, pray for me. They don't mean it. Is, it, is that what he's doing? No, I'll tell you. Paul is sincere here. I think the reason that he's asking for prayer as he, as he does something that he's done so many times before is because Paul realized a spiritual truth that Jesus explained in John chapter 15. Now, Paul had never read John 15, all right? It hadn't been written yet. But he knew this truth that Jesus explains in that passage. You know what Jesus said in John 15, verse 5? Here's what he said. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit Apart from me, you can do, anyone know the next word? Nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, on your own, in your own strength, according to your own wisdom, he said, you can't do anything. And he, here's what Christ means by that. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. It doesn't matter how bright you are, how charming. It doesn't matter how morally upright you've tried to be. Guys, listen. When it comes to accomplishing anything at all that's going to count for eternity, you and I can't, we can't do anything at all without God. We need God to do, for us to do things that, that really, really count. And here's the, here's, the, here's the catch. God has decided that he normally, the normal way God works will be in response to the prayers of his people. God has just ordained this. doesn't mean God 
God can work without our prayers, but he's decided he's not going to. He has ordained that the normal way he will work in this world is in response to the prayers of his people. Some of you know that verse, James 4, verse 2. What does it say? You do not have because you don't ask God. And that verse teaches us, guys, there are certain things in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our world, there are certain things that God simply will not do unless we go to Him and ask in prayer. He won't if we don't. He won't work if we don't pray. And so the apostle here, he's not asking for prayer, just some kind of religious formality. Yeah, it's a, you're supposed to ask for prayer. No, he really means it. He, He's asking for prayer because he knows it's vital for the work God has called him to do. I wonder if you realize that. What, what, what has God been calling you to do for his glory recently? Do you realize you can't do it in your strength? You need God's power? Do you realize God won't? He's probably not going to give you his power. Unless we pray. And ask for it. One, one uh, Christian author named Beth Moore, she wrote this. She said, there are parts of our calling and there are works of the Holy Spirit and, and, and there are victories over the darkness that will come no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled unceasing prayer. This is how God works. And if you think about it, isn't it wonderful that God would invite you and me into his plans to work in this world saying, I will work powerfully in this world, but you're going to be involved in it. You will bring your needs to me, the needs of your family, the needs of your world, the needs of your church. You'll bring these to me in prayer. You'll wrestle before me with these needs in prayer. I will listen. And I will work. I mean, prayer is just such an amazing, miraculous experience of God's grace and power, and we're invited to be part of it. So for believers in Christ, listen, prayer is easy. Every, everything that ever needed to be done for you to have the Father's ear, it's already been done by Jesus Christ. Through, listen, by, through virtue of His atoning work on the cross, you can go to God in prayer. But, are you okay with this? It will take effort. And here's the wonderful in incentive to this. Why, why should I put forth this effort? Because, guys, as we go to God in prayer, we are going to a loving, faithful, powerful Father. And He will hear us. Amen? And He will act. Let's pray together now. Father, thank You for the amazing picture of the, the power and the privilege of prayer that we, we find in Scripture. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you, through your Spirit, would be calling us to be, a, once again, take, a, take upon us this mantle of, of responsibility. You've called us to be a people of prayer. May we be that for your glory. And may we see you do great things. In Christ's name, amen.